0: Welcome to Flip It or Skip It, brought to you by WorthPoint, the world's largest antiques and collectibles pricing and research database. Buy right, sell right, and profit more with WorthPoint. Now, let's meet our hosts.
1: Hi, I'm Dana Crawford.
0: And I'm Wayne Jordan.
1: In today's episode number 27 of Flip It or Skip It, we're going to be cooking up some Cast iron.
0: Cast iron cookware. That sounds like a fun topic. Do you have uh, lots of experience with
1: cast iron cookware? You know, everybody knows I hate to cook and I don't really cook much, but I love outdoor cooking and that's one thing that I would say I'm pretty good at with my cast iron Mm -hmm. outside.
0: Well, there's an advantage to doing it outside and that's you don't set off the smoke alarm.
1: Well, that's true, Wayne. Um, it is a sure thing when I cook in the kitchen.
0: <laughs> oh, I'll tell you. when I, I use cast iron pan for cooking steaks because it holds the heat better. In an aluminum frying pan, you can bring it up to temperature, but as soon as you put room temperature steak in it, all of the heat comes out of the pan and into the steak, which is, of course, what you want to happen. But then the problem is that the pan cools down. It takes a little bit longer for it to heat up. With cast iron, the pan holds heat better, so the steak sears on the outside, and you can hold the juices in. It's just much better to do it that way. But, of course, the side effect of that is it tends to get a little smoky when you do that. So I can have the, the stove hood up, all the way, and whatever I cook a steak, I don't care if it's the middle of the winter. The dining room window comes open, <laughs> and the the uh, air filter comes on all the way just to keep the smoke down. So, uh, cooking outside is really the best way to to do it with cast iron, especially.
1: Yes, cast iron, and you can. I put the cast iron on the grill. I mean, you don't have to have a cook uh, an outdoor fire going. You can put it on your grill outside.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you had the occasion to put cast iron on a fire?
1: Yeah, when I'm when I'm camping, I would have the the regular fire going, but we would have like a grate above the fire, mm-hmm. and then I would put it that way. But now the cast iron, um, the big cast iron Dutch oven, I I bought years ago to take on a Girl Scout trip.
0: You still go camping?
1: No, I like um, Marriott.
0: Uh, these days roughing it for me is a motel (laughs) six but i used to camp all the time when i had backpack and that sort of thing when i was younger
1: yes but you know i've had men i've sold many online and you know there's there's just like with so many things the the prices change you know they Mm -hmm. go up and down and um i'm pretty sure griswold is still the leader and uh, the most valuable. Have you checked lately?
0: Yeah, very popular. They're very popular. You know, one thing that you'll hear me say repeatedly in these podcasts is that before you buy anything to flip, you have to know who you're going to sell it to. That's my mantra for flipping across the board. Before I'll buy anything, I want to know who, how big the market is, who my likely customers are and I was surprised to find that on Facebook there are a bunch of groups dedicated to cast iron cookware and they have huge memberships for example I uh, pulled up a list this morning there's there's a group Titled Cast Iron Cookware that has 26,000 members wow. and 40 posts a day there is one called Cast Iron Community that has 50,000 members cast-iron cookware trader, cast-iron cookware buy-sell trade, cast-iron cookware identification with 19,000 members. So anyone who is interested in picking cast-iron items should join one of these or more of these groups to help them identify what it is, because there's a lot of cast-iron that is not marked, doesn't have manufacturer's marks on it, but there are telltale signs for all of the manufacturers, people that know the, the niche well will be able to identify what the item is, which, of course, means you, you'll be able to to price it correctly and describe it correctly and, and so on.
1: Um, yeah, I could see that. Um, if you can't find it on WorthPoint or on eBay, then, right. you know, if you can't identify it. But I, I personally just like to stay in one area, then venture onto Facebook. But I can see that being um, a backup plan. Well, what
0: I noted was that was the membership of those groups. Sure. There are thousands and thousands of people uh, looking at cast iron cookware, and I understand why. I mean, it's been around forever. Cast iron was invented in China way back in I don't know, long time ago. <laughs> but it didn't hit uh, it didn't hit Europe until about the Middle Ages. So, but since then, I mean, this thing's last forever. And uh, if you have something uh, thin and cheap and have abused it, and or, or set it in a barn and let it rust and it cracks, that sort of thing. Unless you're mistreating the pan, those things will last forever, 100 years. I mean, uh, it's not unusual to have these things passed down from generation to generation. And, and someone who buys a nice cast iron cookware today, they can watch their grandkids cook on it. So I think that's it's interesting. The stuff lasts a long time. There's a lot of it around.
1: Yeah, I've enjoyed um the new one of the articles on uh Worth Point called Bit by the Cast Iron Bug. Did you look at
0: that? <laughs> I did. That's about the guy who collects Lodge cast yes. iron? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, Lodge is a good brand. They've been around. They've been making pans for over 100 years. Right. They've been around a long time. And they're popular. Of course, you mentioned Griswold already. Wagner is uh, another popular brand. And at some point, and I I meant to look this up and I didn't, so I apologize. At some point, Wagner and Griswold merged. It seems to me it was the latter part of the 20th century, maybe 70s or 80s. But there are many, the the pans... After that, were made by the same company. They kept separate identities uh, for them, but uh, they still marketed them under the two brands. Another thing that's interesting is you have some later cast iron pans that were made by Wagner, but they don't have the Wagner name anywhere on it or any identification on the bottom. And the reason for that is, like a lot of manufacturers, Wagner wanted to sell more cookware so they were sell uh, Wagner was a high end brand that was being sold in top level department stores uh, Macy's and and the like and they didn't want to cheapen their brand reputation by selling those in Kmart and Sears and places like that so they just started making pans with no identification on it so they could sell them for less same pans just didn't have any identification on it. They were able to sell more cookware doing it that way. But a couple of tips on identifying uh, the cookware. In 1960, uh, the U.S. government passed a law that, that all manufacturers had to state the country of origin, place where it was manufactured, somewhere on the item. So if you find a pan and it says made in USA, but doesn't have any other markings on it, you can be pretty sure that it was made after 1960. Uh, and if you find a pan that has a manufacturer's name on it, like Lodge or Wagner or Griswold or, or some other, and it doesn't say made in USA, then you can be pretty sure that it was the first half of the 20th century of when it was made.
1: Well, when you're out picking, too, not only um, are you looking for... Of course, they're numbered by the size of the skillet, but when you turn it over, you want to look and see what logo or brand is on it. And I saw in Worth Point there was uh in twenty nineteen an extremely rare Erie spider logo on a Griswold and it was a spider with just the word Erie in the middle, sold for seven thousand three hundred and eighty eight dollars. And a second one sold for six thousand two hundred. Wow. Wouldn't that be a nice find?
0: Well, it would be. It would, that's not one you want to keep to cook on.
1: <laughs> no, that would be head right to the auction house.
0: <laughs> think of think of all the cast iron you could buy with that much money. That's it. So when you're out and about, do you, when you run across cast iron cookware, do you stop to look at it, evaluate it with an eye toward buying it?
1: I do. I always flip it over. Mm-hmm. Always. And if it's a Lodge, I generally pass up the Lodge, to be honest with you. Um, But if it's a Griswold, I may, you know, take a second look. Lodge is even for sale at Cracker Barrel.
0: Yeah. Well, they're the only ones left in America. They're the only ones still making it.
1: Yeah, they're common. Yeah, Lodge is is kind of easy to find, and um, it's not as high-end as Griswold or Wagner. Right. But you just have to also pay attention to the the numbers on the bottom, like number 13 Griswold is more yeah. valuable than a 10. So you just, you know, the numbers make a difference as well. Right. And then um, also the the design of the bottom. So mm-hmm. if I see China, you know, I <laughs> flip it over and I've seen those a lot at at flea markets, as a matter of fact, I'll right. I'll always flip it over and take a look.
0: Well, in general, uh, the from what I've read, the quality of the cast iron that comes out of uh, Asia these days is not as good as the, the old cast iron. Some things to look for that help you identify older and antique cast iron is if you flip the pan over, it's got a, a raised ring around the outside edge of the bottom, and that's called a heat ring. And the uh, those pans were originally made for wood stoves. That helps keep the bottom of the pan off the top of the stove. It doesn't make a big imprint there. And the numbers on the bottom of the pan uh, don't have anything to do with the size of the pan. On an aluminum pan, if it says 10-inch, it's a 10-inch pan. But on in cast-iron cookware, the numbers relate to the size of the hole on a wood stove. So you, want to, you don't want, of course, you don't want a pan that's too small for the hole in your stove. You also don't want, to want one that's too big. Well, and there's a lot of cast-iron that has no names at all on the bottom. It'll just have some kind of marking. And you'll find differences in uh, handles. Uh, Some pans have a long handle, and then opposite the long handle, there's a little short uh, lip where you can lift the pan up uh, straight without it uh, tipping from the weight. Very often imports, uh, especially Asian imports, you'll see them with wooden handles. Okay, well, this is a good place to stop for A word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. WorthPoint helps you make more money by ensuring that every sale brings the profit it should. We take the guesswork out of how much to pay and how high to price. The WorthPoint Price Guide lists over 500 million items sold for prices and photographs. 15 years of antiques and collectibles data. Put simply, WorthPoint helps you make more money. For a seven-day, seven-lookup free trial, go to worthpoint.com. Okay, we're back. Uh, Yours truly, Wayne Jordan and Dana Crawford. And we're cooking up an episode about cast iron cookware. One of the nice things about cast iron cookware is, of course, they're cast in one piece. Uh, A mold is made out of sand and you take the the molten iron and pour it into the mold and then let it cool and when it cools you, you take it out of the mold and you know clean it up and smooth it out do whatever pre-seasoning or whatever you're going to do to the pan but in taking it out of the molds sometimes there's it, taking it out of the mold leaves a mark on the bottom or on the side of the pan and at first glance it might look like a defect or a crack or something like that but you should look closely at that because uh what that is actually is called a gate mark and if you find something with a gate mark then that is a late 19th century uh pan it's an actual antique and of course that makes it worth more money and if you find one of those you should pick it up but there are also one thing that you see in antique stores and mall booths and so on, is you see a Wagner pan that on the bottom it's marked uh, Wagner 1891, is stamped into the, the back with instructions on how to season the pan, and, and it looks like you've got a genuine antique. And dealers who don't know much about cast iron will think, hey, I've hit the mother load here. It's an 1891. Mm-hmm. Wagner cast iron pan, but it's not. Those pans were made in commemoration of Wagner's 100th anniversary. Oh, wow. So they were made in the 1990s. Uh, so if you see a pan that says Wagner 1891, it's not as cool as you might think it is.
1: <laughs> well, the other thing to watch for are the cast iron lids.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, because lids are so hard to find. They get yeah. separated from the pans. And yeah, it's it, so they're more valuable.
1: Yeah, the lids always, you know, and it's like a lot of the um, other things, Pyrex and whatnot. The lids sometimes you do better with. But I did see a lid recently sold on WorthPoint for. Nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine dollars, and it was an eight-inch Lodge Logic lid that is obviously a harder, an older one, harder to find.
0: Yeah, I hope so because that's a pretty high price even <laughs> for a lid. I've have seen lids go for you know three or four thousand dollars consistently but you know that's what the, the that's what the selling price was i would be inclined to want to look into that a little bit more
1: right and then don't be afraid of the ones that are full of rust my uncle i had my girl scout giant i have a really i don't i don't even know how big it is it's got to be 20 20 some inches big um cast iron skillet for girl scout camp and what I used to do is um I would make um mashed potato like I was good at making mashed potatoes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I would make mashed potatoes and I would fill it with mashed potatoes and then I would put that whole thing in the oven and then bake it and then um you know sprinkle um bacon bits or whatever on top and then I'd put a bow on the handle and I'd take that to like if I was going to a potluck or mm-hmm. you know something like that. So it was always a decorative piece. Well, anyways, it got put aside in the garage, and it just got full of rust. I think it was even out in the rain for a while. Mm-hmm. My uncle took it for me, and he power washed it. Mm-hmm. And he used his power washer, and he got all the rust off of it. And then once you know it was cleaned up enough, then I, I seasoned it, which means you cover it all with oil. Mm-hmm. And then I actually put it in our grill, and I right. let it I let it uh, bake in the grill because it's so big.
0: So, would you ten W thirty motor oil, or wh- what did you? <laughs> use?
1: No, I actually used um, all I have is um, olive oil. That's the only kind mm-hmm. of oil I have. And then what I do is I just drop some oil this. This time, I was trying to bring it back to life, so I put a lot of oil on it. And then right. I used a lot of... Um, oh, and then I just use a paper towel, and I rub it on every part of it, inside, outside, you know, the right. back, the front, the right. sides. And then I let it um, sit in the grill like all day. Mm-hmm. And then at once once it was seasoned, then it's ready for me to use again.
0: Yeah, I've seen various opinions on... How to season and how to clean and how to get rid of rust there there are bunches of videos on youtube oh yeah that that will approach getting the rust off of them and some of them I've never heard of power washing until you mention it, but there's no reason that that shouldn't work just as well as many of the others, but some folks use electrolysis uh you know they they hook up a bucket of water to a car battery and what? Get it off, yeah. I get it off like that. There are others <laughs> that do a lye bath. Uh, in fact, since I've mentioned lye, one of the old wives' tales is that you should never ever use soap when cleaning cast iron. And that recommendation comes from the days when uh, most soaps were lye based, and lye is very corrosive. So they don't. You shouldn't use anything corrosive on. And cast iron because it will oddly enough corrode it <laughs> and you'll get pits and that sort of thing in it but a little a couple of drops of dishwashing soap if you need a little soap it's fine some people don't clean it at all like i've got a little round griddle fits right over a burner and i use that to uh, cook eggs in the morning because it's easy to get under them and flip them and that sort of thing. And I don't clean that with soap. I just take a, a scrubby if I need it or, or something like that and just wipe it down and then pour a couple of drops of olive oil and wipe that around and put it back on the burner until it cools. Another point of contention is in, in seasoning a pan. When you done cooking with it, that you put a couple of drops of olive oil or whatever kind of oil. Some people swear by flax oil. Well, from what I've seen, it doesn't matter what kind of oil you use, as long as you use it and put it in there. And then some folks will stick it in a warm oven. The most common recommendation was 350 degrees at sea level. But one guy says he cranks his all the way up to 500. Wow. So I think that's, that's pretty high. And also, he turned it upside down and put something underneath it to get rid of the, so that the oil wouldn't flow into imperfections and in low spots. It would all drip out. We've been doing. My wife and I have been married for close to fifty years. We've never <laughs> turned it upside down. We've always kept it right set up. It works just fine. Speaking of uh, a seasoning and and low spots and that kind of thing. Let me offer a couple of tips on picking vintage cast iron cookware when you're out at flea markets or antique dealers and that sort of thing. One tip is if you take the pan and say a frying pan and you put it on a flat surface and you flick the handle to the left or to the right so that it might spin. A perfectly flat pan won't spin. There's too much resistance there. But if the pan is warped, it'll spin like a top. It'll just keep going around. So that's one way to tell if your, your pan is warped. And of course, a warped pan, food that you want to cook, it's, it's not, not going to distribute evenly and some parts are going to burn, some parts will be undone. So that's one way. Another way is if you turn a pan upside down and put a credit card across the middle If the card rocks back and forth, then pan's got a warp in it. It should sit perfectly flat on the bottom. Oh. And the opposite of that is you flip it over and put the card down on the inside in the middle. If the middle is sort of indented, the card will hit on the sides, but you can see light underneath the card. If you can see light underneath it, then it's warped as well. And, of course, a warped pan not only will have no resale value or very little resale value. won't be any good to cook with either.
1: Good, Great tip. I can't wait to try that now next time I go to the antique show.
0: One other point about the lodge cookware. We talk, I talked a bit about the heat ring on the bottom that keeps it up off the stove. Uh, lodges have little notches in it around the outside. I don't know why exactly. But that's a distinctive characteristic of lodge if you find an early lodge piece that isn't marked lodge and isn't marked made in America. If it's got the heat ring with the notches in it, chances are good it's a lodge piece.
1: Oh, cool. One that we didn't mention, and I'm not exactly sure how to say it because I'm not French, um, (laughs) is La Creuset. L-E space C-R-E-U-S-E-T. Beats me. And if you look that up on Worth Point, for example, you'll see that uh they are, are rare, usually a Dutch oven or a bean pot, and they're cast iron. I actually have a lodge that's um a cast iron, um, with the lid and it and it looks like it's got enamel on it because it's blue.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And it's it actually makes the best roast ever. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. The top is done right, everything. I mean, I can put everything in that pot and put it in the oven, and, and it works.
0: Yeah, uh, enameled cast iron is very popular. When when I was first married in the 70s, Jill and I had a set of enameled cast iron, and it was kind of that 70s orange yes. color. And we had it forever until we got to the point where we decided we needed to upgrade and we bought this high-tech non-stick cookware because we both like to cook we gave the other away i think we took it to goodwill or something like Mm -hmm. that boy what a mistake (laughs) (laughs) i wish i still had it and when i'm about done with uh we have a collection of non-stick pans aluminum pans Mm -hmm. and they just don't perform as well The, the trick to using cast iron is just in knowing how to care for it so, you know you need to keep these things uh It doesn't matter if you're cooking bacon in it. just wipe it down If you've yeah. cooked a bunch of bacon and you can get all the little pieces out of it and that kind of thing. Don't worry about the using soap on it to get the grease out. The grease is good for it,
1: yeah, it's good for the best.
0: seasoning seasoning those oh yeah, how can you go wrong with bacon?
1: It's the best, but the bean pots now i I just want to encourage everybody to go ahead and do a search for cast iron bean pots because. They they are something to watch for as well. They they right. sell pretty well and it almost seems like brand does not matter. They can be unmarked and they still sell thousands.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you can if you get if you buy right you can get a good price when you flip them. Worst case scenario if you get stuck with something, you won't be stuck. Just learn how to use it. There you go. And you'll be glad that you did. Okay, you know, I'm sitting here looking at the Hands on the clock go round and around, and they're telling me that it's about time to wrap this up. So that wraps it up for for this week. We thank all our listeners for joining us, and we hope you join us again next week. Check out our podcast page at flipitorskipit.com, where you'll find links to all of the episodes and to all of the show notes for the episodes and all of the the fun stuff and references that uh, we need to to put in writing, you'll find there. So, Dana, thanks. It's been great. And uh, have a nice weekend. Look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for cooking
1: up this episode with me.
0: It was fun. You've been listening to Flip It or Skip It, brought to you by WorthPoint.com, the world's largest antiques and collectibles pricing and research database. Buy right, sell right, and profit more
1: with WorthPoint.